KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Flashpoint, shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program, Organ Donors Save Lives. I'm Antoinette Lee, and this week on Flashpoint, Help Wanted. We have people that are making far lower than $15. The challenges of reopening, recovering, and getting back to work. The economy is incentivizing people with higher wages to attract them back to the workforce. A West Philly native gains national recognition for turning her home into a food pantry during the pandemic. But I'm just humbled that God chose me and that I could be a vessel to help other people. And we highlight a local woman who's turning limits into a first-of-its-kind beauty truck. Natural products and natural living is really something that we should all consider. It's a half hour you need to hear straight ahead on Flashpoint. This week, we're talking about recovering from the pandemic. Now, as businesses are reopening and welcoming back more customers, establishments like restaurants and hotels are claiming they can't find enough workers to fill open jobs. Some owners even say they've had to close permanently or go to limited hours because they can't find the help they need. Now, the assumption has been simplified to people just don't want to work. But what's really going on here? Here to discuss on Flashpoint, we have Andrea Custis. She is president and CEO of the Urban League of Philadelphia. Michael Robinson, he is the director of community outreach and hiring at Temple University's LimFest, North Philadelphia Workforce Initiative. Andrea and Michael, thank you so much for being here on Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you. I want to start off strong here and dig into the elephant in the room. Now, there are speculations that the federal unemployment subsidy has discouraged people from going back to work. Some state lawmakers have even moved to cut that subsidy off. Have either of you found any truth to this theory? The answer to that question is is really layered. There are some people that are probably adhering to that thought that I'm just going to, you know, lean on public assistance. Uh, because, you know, the getting is good right now, right? But that's short-sighted thinking because that's only going to last but for so long. And really, that's not a lot of money when you look at it in the big scheme of things in terms of covering uh, mortgages and rent and car notes and stuff like that. It's not a lot of money. And so in the long run, that's looking at the employment situation short-sightedly if people are just leaning on, you know, the public assistance. So I would tell people right now, is the best time to start looking for work because companies are paying more to incentivize people to come out to the workforce. Companies are opening up their doors uh, for workers now. We see the economies opening up on the local, state, and national level. You even have companies doing signing bonuses. Anytime a company like McDonald's is paying like $16, $17 an hour in some places, that's a telltale sign that the economy is incentivizing people with higher wages to attract them back to the workforce. To Andrea now, um, going back to the speculations about the federal unemployment subsidy making people not want to work. So Antoinette, thank you for asking that question. And I know that's the buzz out there, but I'm going to talk to you as a civil rights leader from the Urban League of Philadelphia. I believe the main issue here is family sustaining wages. We have people that look like me as a Black woman that are making far lower than $15. That's what we consider as family sustaining wages. I have had an opportunity to talk to the governor and say, you have to get that through. I want to remind your listeners that the minimum wage here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is $7.25. There are many people that we have helped to get jobs where I've heard the young people say, I make more than my mother and father. I'm in Lyft quite a bit. 
and a lot of the women and men are in two, carrying two jobs because they don't make enough money to take care of their family. So number one, I would say to the employers, similar to what Michael said, make sure you are offering a family sustaining wage. The second piece, and this is from talking to women, regardless of ethnicity at a point now, and you've seen it on national news and everywhere that women are coming home and the big fear is they're not coming back in the workplace. That gender gap between a man and a woman, if a woman makes 79 cents for every dollar that is paid to a man. And then on top of it, you, you need adequate childcare. So that's also impacting women. Then I'll go back to African-Americans, especially that we, we are in the middle of traumas with the amount of gun violence that's going on. You also know with COVID-19 that black people were getting COVID three times as much as their white counterparts. And we were dying twice what white people were and why one is that we are in those frontline jobs think about the SEPTA drivers so you're in those frontline jobs and then you're coming in with preconditions right so that is another piece that people are traumatized and people also especially the people that look like me have a fear of contracting COVID-19. You mentioned a lot of layers there, uh, the gender wage gap, health concerns, you know, so many things that are going on. So Michael, I want to back up a bit and talk about what you're hearing from employers. So is there actually a worker shortage and what kind of jobs are out there? How are they trying to get people on board? Um, Employers are hiring again. Um, Certain industries may be experiencing more difficulty identifying folks. Like when you think about the gig economy, like waitresses and waiters and those kind of, you know, a lot of those folks have trepidation about returning back because as Andrea mentioned, most of those types of jobs were the low wage jobs, grocery stores, working at the corner store, um, working in restaurants. You're, you're on the front line of exposing yourself to the general public. And so for many of those workers, some of them don't want to uh, come back because they still have trepidation about the virus, even though we know Um, half of the adult population in America now is now vaccinated and the deaths have uh, been reduced drastically. All of the COVID restrictions are going to be relaxed. You know, we're going back to pre-COVID living conditions, which tells us it's a safer world for us to return back to work. But there's still people, especially in those low uh, wage jobs that have trepidation about returning. And in some cases, some people don't have a choice. Because they got to work. They got to put, you know, a roof over their head and and food in the bellies of their family. And single parent households headed by females had to make dire choices. Um, What am I going to do? Do I work? Do I stay home? And some chose to stay home and take the public assistance that the federal government was giving because they didn't have the option to stay at work like they wanted to. Now, with the economy opening up, you still have some people with the lingering thought, particularly in black and brown communities who were abused historically by scientific experiments and where there's this great distrust, you know, with the medical community. And so those individuals, you know, have a trepidation about returning back to work. And so, Andrea, what kind of jobs are are people looking for and have people's expectations for work changed since the pandemic? I pay attention to the monthly um, jobs report that just came out from uh, President Biden, and we added in May 559,000 jobs. 
um, which is an increase of April at 278,000. So that is the good news. When you look at it though, something that is alarming is that if you look at that unemployment rate for the United States, blacks are at 9.1% and whites are at 5.1% for unemployment. Now, when you come into Philadelphia, I am seeing unemployment rates as high as 25, 26%. Those are the ones who have stayed in the system. Remember, many have dropped out of the system and have decided to try to do something on their own, to try to be an entrepreneur in a sense. So when I look at the gains where it has occurred, it's leisure and hospitality, public and private education. And then the third area that absolutely has gained is the healthcare and social assistance area. I would encourage employers not to do things the same way. And, and I see some hope in that. And I would ask them to continue to challenge themselves, to continue to challenge their HR folks and to continue to challenge those who are making hiring decisions. A lot has happened in the past year on top of the pandemic. There's also been a racial reckoning, calls for systemic changes and an end to Asian hate crimes. So how does all of this factor into the workforce challenges? Um, it just exacerbates issues that have already existed. We know racism has always been an issue in the workplace. Um, Andre talked about the wage disparities um, um, with, with gender, with women, and, and, and the wage disparities are even ever present when it comes to people of color. We also see, as a result of the pandemic, an exasperation of the problem of the digital divide, where as a result of the pandemic, a lot of companies pivoted to video conferencing technologies like Zoom and Meetup and et cetera, where they were doing interviews, uh, connecting with remote workers, et cetera. But if I'm a person who doesn't even have simple internet connection at home, if I'm a person who doesn't even have access to a laptop computer at home with internet connection, I, I'm, I'm, I'm locked out of those opportunities. I'm locked out of the video conferencing interviews and, and connecting with employers. And, and so most people, most internet um, job opportunities and applications, people are using their cell phones because they don't have that kind of technology at home. So the pandemic exasperated those problems. And so when you talk about Brown and, 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 and Black individuals and minorities, how the pandemic has you know, adversely affected them, it has really exacerbated the problem of the digital divide because Black and Brown and low-income people are the ones on the low end of the totem pole who lack that kind of access. And if you don't have internet access, which to me, should be a basic public utility. That, that's just my opinion. That's my soapbox. But, but if you don't even have that, you're locked out of employment opportunities that exist because you, you can't even apply for jobs. And Andre, I want to give you a shot at that question as well. The good news, there are always the bad apples. They don't re represent the great majority. So when I look at my Asian brothers and sisters and on my team, Everybody has always worked on my team and welcome to the table here. And so when I look at that, I think Philadelphia does a pretty good job. We've heard of some of those horrible stories. But when I look at the placement of Asian folks, when I look at the unemployment rate, remember in the beginning, I told you 9.1% across the United States for Black folks and 5.1% for whites. Asians are at 5.5% unemployment, you know, almost very similar to whites. So I've seen good behavior.
from major companies in this area that we are better than others. And so all individuals are considered. And in fact, I would say, if anything, there is a bias towards Asian folks that says, wow, they are intelligent, they are smart, they are um, technology savvy. And so I see goodness coming out of that. And I so apologize to that community because we know what that feels like as black folks in Philadelphia and black folks in America. Time is winding down here. I wanna give you both uh, a last chance to dance and last thoughts here. Uh, Michael, we'll start with you. Employers should tap into community organizations like the Urban League that are creating uh, pipeline streams of qualified people that are ready to go back to work. Um, the Lymphest North Philadelphia Workforce Initiative is also one of those types of organizations that are developing people for the workforce here at Temple University. And I would also encourage those that are looking for work not to be ever dependent on these public assistance uh, opportunities that are, are, that are out there right now. They're only a stopgap. They're only temporary. Look at the long game. Get back into the workforce. Um, jump on it now because the salaries are better and the opportunities are plentiful and the, the environment is healthier. Andrea? A couple of things. Um, I want all of you to think really positive. I want you to also think about maybe doing something that's a little bit different than what you thought. I want you to do your homework. For those of you who have internet access, look to see what types of jobs are available. Also want to say to anybody about state supplementary unemployment benefits or things that are in the federal government, there is no reason to act on these to withdraw any kind of income because they are absolutely supporting and igniting our economy. And we continue to recover because of those extra dollars that people are spending. It's smart to the employers, um, come up with some new ideas and some new ways of recruiting and hiring individuals. And as always, just look at individuals that they have a lot to offer. Andrea and Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Flashpoint for this important discussion. Thank you. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Now, back to Flashpoint, the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. A local woman made national headlines when she started a food pantry out of her Upper Darby home to fight food insecurities during the pandemic. KYW's Shara Day Howard sat down with our newsmaker of the week, Desiree Lamar Murphy, a West Philadelphia native and founder of the community food pantry called Murphy's Giving Markets. Welcome, Desiree. Now, you brought your lifelong vision of a community-inspired effort to life, the Murphy's Giving Markets, a free local food pantry. And being born and raised in West Philadelphia, you know the struggles of many of the families because as a child, you suffered those same struggles. You said you're no stranger to being hungry. So yes, growing up in Philadelphia public schools, I was around children that did not have even what I had growing up. And then being a Philadelphia public school teacher, seeing students not have the necessities that they needed, such as food or hygiene products, it just inspired me to do all I can to give back. And this is how I give back, by starting the market and serving families in need. As you mentioned, you spent your entire life as an educator. And when COVID-19 came to our area, schools closed and your days looked different. And you pivoted, 
You're a teacher. You don't have unlimited funds, but you made it work. You made a plan not only to include your community, but to serve your community from your own front porch. Yes. So not only do we serve food, because we know that that's just how we how we get people to come in. We find out how to serve the whole person. So as a teacher, we are trained to like look into the person. So we serve clothing. We serve books. We offer other resources, pet food, because poverty just doesn't isn't just food insecurities. It's the whole person. People that struggle don't just struggle with food. They struggle with everything, lacking all resources. So that's what we do at Murphy's. We try to offer supports to connect people to all resources. So you did all of this with donations and you did something really innovative. You took the supplies and resources from schools that weren't being used because the schools were closed and you put it all to use and nothing went to waste. Yes. So we rescued some food from schools. We also took food from other pantries who were closed because they couldn't operate during COVID because they didn't have staff or because they didn't have permission to open and close buildings. So we opened and we opened outside and outside spaces that were safer than being in enclosed buildings. Logistics alone, I can only imagine this must have been a nightmare. So complicated. Yes, it was very, very hard in the beginning because we had no, there was nothing else in operation like it to like have a blueprint how it operates. So it was a parking nightmare. It was me trying to be nice to my neighbors, extra nice because it was many people in the community that normally don't come to this neighborhood. And it was also purchasing infrastructure, refrigerators, freezers, tables, bags for people to carry things in. So it was a huge undertaking that we, it was just so many things we didn't consider initially when starting the market. As you mentioned, Murphy's Giving Market is the only one of its kind in the Philadelphia area where you're feeding people from your own porch, your backyard, even your kitchen. But once you got your bearings, you were feeding more than 100 families a week. Initially, we were serving like 30 families and then we ballooned up to 100. But Easter week this year we served 140 families. So in some families, that's one person, some families, that's 10 or 15 people. So like, when you think about it, even though we have 100 people that come each week, we serve hundreds each week just out of the backyard. So these families that were coming, there were families that had lost their jobs, people that were furloughed, and even immigrant families who'd also lost their jobs but had no way of sustaining themselves because they couldn't rely on unemployment. And even though things are starting to open back up, your pantry's still going strong because a lot of these families, they still need help. So yes, and those people continue to come even though they've gone back to work because, and we know this, studies show that just because someone goes back to work and the country starts to open back up, poverty will last. The bounce back can last seven years. It can take seven years to bounce back from something as devastating as a recession or COVID. So the people still come. It's the same people. And it's even people that weren't coming before that heard from other news articles that said, hey, let's travel over there. People come from West Philly to Upper Darby. People come from Winfield to Upper Darby because of the atmosphere and the type of products that we give. Now, tell me about why it's so important to not just concentrate on food. You talked about serving the whole person, the whole community. Look at the future. In the future, we like to offer supports like job training, GED skills because it's not just enough to give person something. There's a parable that talks about if you give a man a fish, you can only feed them for a day. But if you give them other resources, then they can learn to be self-sufficient forever. So yes, we can just give them food, but we can also teach them how to cook foods that they're not familiar with. So that's what we try to do. We also have the garden out back. So we try to teach them how to garden so they can grow their own food. But it's also giving them clothing, connecting them to ESL classes because we have a large immigrant population. And if we could teach them how to communicate effectively in the English language, then they can get a job and then they can learn skills to be able to become successful and not need our resources. Did all the attention take you off guard? Because this was hot. This is still hot. This was a national phenomenon. This went from being a local effort to being nationally recognized. 
you were on television screens and newspapers across the country. So at first it started out as just as just a newspaper article. And then it was, hey, Desiree, your article went to um, North Carolina and it's like all over. And then it was you coming out and all these other news, news outlets wanting to come and just see something that they thought was amazing. The next thing you know, it was people from all over wanting to reach out to hear about what we were doing. And we didn't think it was a big deal or anything amazing because this is something that God just put on our hearts to do. It's something we love to do. We didn't think it was a big undertaking. Apparently, people think it's a big deal. You've already done so much. What else could you possibly do to build on the success of this giving market? What's next? We have two new projects. We have Grace Tabernacle, um, which is reopening in Southwest Philadelphia, which is a known food desert. We're opening up as soon as we can get the green light to open up there. And then, so I've been working there all day, getting things in order. And then Murphy's Market Cellars, which is my house, has obtained a building and we'll be moving within the next month. So I'm actively working with the town and with other folks to get that building open and get out of my backyard and get into a facility that can really house and serve the community and be a real community resource in the community space where we can offer job training, ESL classes, um, GED training, the food, the clothing, the pet food, all the resources that we were offering here and more. And I can get my house back. And one of your biggest community supporters is Temple University. Now, recently you were asked by your alma mater, Temple University, to be a keynote speaker at the 2021 graduation ceremony. Now, was that on your bucket list? Was that something that you ever expected to be asked to do? Yes. So uh, one day back in early April or maybe late March, I got a phone call from an unknown number, which I never answer. But I got a phone call and this lady says to me, hey, Desiree, I'd like to talk to you about the opportunity to be Temple's commencement speaker for the College of Education and Human Development. And I'm thinking like, what commencement speaker like Bill Cosby like Bill Gates like that kind of commencement speaker Jill Scott I'm like well why me and she said why not you and I got so nervous and I said well I would love to do it I'm a temple alum and I would love to do it it just kept going in my mind like why me like why is this such a a undertaking that I'm tasked to do and my mother says why not you and I felt so humbled to have that opportunity to be able to do that not because I'm someone famous but because I'm just someone with a heart in that speech you spoke about a turtle on a fence yes and what that meant sometimes in life we look at people that are up high and we wonder how did they get there? And it's not because they got there on their own. We all need a little bit of help and support to get to wherever we are, whether it's someplace in the middle, whether it's someplace high. Sometimes we have to be the person to lift people up. And sometimes we have to be the person that once we get there, we pull people up and we have to lift as we climb. That's how I believe. I'm not at a high point. I'm not like, I don't have a lot of money, but I believe that with whatever I have, I must give. And I believe that in order for me to have other people do the same thing, I have to show them, not just tell them what to do. Lead by example. Lead by example. Yes, absolutely. The question of why not you has come up quite a few times, you said. Why have you been tasked with this seemingly enormous purpose of feeding others, of creating community? Have you figured out the answer yet? I still don't really realize why me, but I'm just humbled that God chose me and that I could be a vessel to be able to do this to help other people. Thank you so much, Desiree. Thank you for having me. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. 
The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. Every week here on Flashpoint, we like to uplift a person who is making a difference in the community. Our Patriot Home Care Changemaker is Abina Tamazi, a business owner rising above the pandemic challenges by getting created to make the beauty industry more clean and green. As a black business owner, Abina Tamazi has seen her fair share of challenges. I've always had to do things bootstrapped. I started my business with $1,000 and really just the need to help someone. That's how Feng Shui Naturals was created. But as the pandemic unfolded, there were more challenges for her holistic beauty products, which she sells mainly by testing out samples at a local supermarket. So since the pandemic, I hadn't been able to have that engagement to introduce the products to my customers. And so I've had to do a lot of different things in my business to help pivot and to still be able to maintain sales of my products. The pandemic forced Abina to get creative. Deshaun Jackson, Jill Scott, and even the late Teddy Pendergrass have sworn by her products for their proudest accomplishment yet. I've actually launched a electric eco-friendly beauty truck and I'm going to be traveling throughout the city, practicing social distancing, of course, but traveling throughout the city to different whole food markets to meet and greet customers and to give out free samples and free information about our products and why natural products and natural living is really something that we should all consider. The cosmetologist and hair care expert is now spreading love and moisturizer by taking her first-of-its-kind eco-friendly beauty truck on tour. She says what sets Feng Shui Naturals apart is the mission and her passion for promoting sustainable living through holistic products. Part of the reason why we do plant-based products is because a lot of people aren't aware that chemicals that are used in grooming products are actually being back into our oceans and waters, and those things could possibly affect our ecosystem, meaning our, our mammals and plants and coral reefs and fish and things of that nature. And so we're trying to really push our company as well as our customers towards a more natural way so that we have less of an impact with being able to still enjoy having grooming products and having shiny, healthy hair. I'm really trying to catapult the company to be more than just about shampoos and conditioners, but more of a movement towards doing things that are more cohesive with the environment because we all have to live here and we all have to share this environment. And so any little way that we can reduce our footprint and reduce our overusage of, you know, heavy chemical laden products, I think that that's really going to be beneficial for all of us for generations to come. You can catch the eco-friendly beauty truck outside of a Whole Foods near you or follow them on Instagram at Feng Shui Naturals. That's it for Flashpoint. If you know someone we should highlight next, let us know. You can find us on Twitter at Flashpoint Show. I want to wrap us up with this quote. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. This show was produced by Arian Fulcher, Sheridan Howard, and me, your host, Antoinette Lee. Until next time, thanks for listening. Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.